Would you all take a moment and think back to your childhood? And I know some of you probably have easier memories of childhood than others. But think to a pivotal, significant time where you received a newfound freedom. Maybe you were allowed to cross a busy street for the first time. Maybe you hopped on a bus alone for the first time. Maybe it was the day you got your driver's license. Maybe the day that you were old enough to finally babysit your siblings or babysit yourself. Think, if you will, to what that felt like to have some authority and some power over your own life. I remember the first time I received a little bit of freedom that I remember really well. My mom had allowed myself and one of the neighbor girls to walk to a nearby store that was about two or three blocks away. And we were in pursuit of candy. And I had $2 that my mom had shoved into my grubby little hands and I clenched it very, very tight, so tight that when I went to pay for my candy, I just plopped a pile of mangled bills on the counter. And my friend had uh, purchased for herself a box of Tic Tacs. And we were so excited because we had a little bit of a taste of what it was going to be like to be an adult one day and go buy things. And we were so filled with adrenaline at having the opportunity to have done this ourselves that we ran all the way home. We were a little bit scared, maybe even, because we were on our own. And I remember distinctly my friend tripped and fell and smashed her box of Tic Tacs (laughs) all over the sidewalk. But I remember more than anything what it felt like to have a foretaste of what adult life would be like one day. And all of us, when we were children were given opportunities by our parents or our caregivers to get a sample of what adult life was going to be like. That is the goal of parenting, is to raise children up and have them leave the home. And I know some of you have children that maybe haven't left the home yet, (laughs) but adulting is eventually what we are after. And all along the way, even the toddler who takes their very first step is taking their first step away from a parent and into the future they will one day inherit and inhabit as responsible adults. Everything is a step in that direction. And to grow as a child or as an adolescent is to deal with the present realities and limits of your life with the reception of the future things. You deal with the fact as a kid that you're only so high that you can't go on that roller coaster just yet, that you're not quite old enough for that responsibility yet, but you know one day what will come and you live every day toward those purposes. This is what it's like in the life of faith. This is what the people of God are about. We live with the present realities of our world and of our time in history. We have limitations. We live in a world of envy and struggle and strife. And yet every single day, we have the opportunity to live into the resurrection purposes and the setting right of the world that God is going to do. And we have the opportunity to live into that and practice growing into that every single day. This is what 
the church of Jesus Christ is seeking to do. Last week, Dan and Felicia both preached on that reality, that the church is the vehicle through which God seeks to bring about his redemptive purposes in this world. And Dan discussed how we have this Christian hope in those resurrected purposes. And he had a great uh, statement he made last week. He said, the particular kind of hope that followers of Jesus have is not to be confused with some shallower notions of hope popular in our time. Christian hope is not irrational optimism. It is not confidence that life will just get better on its own time. It isn't comforting ourselves with thoughts of escaping earth to some distant heaven. Christian hope is the abiding peace and the forward-leaning energy that comes from living in the presence, power, and plans of a god of redemption. Christian hope is forward leaning. There is a tendency if we are not careful as the church, as the people of God to camp out a bit, to be unsure exactly what our role and responsibility is in the world. Perhaps to think to ourselves, well, you know, I mean, if the end of time, God's going to come back and fix everything you know, how involved do I have to get? You know, can we sit and kind of wait this thing out a bit, maybe craft a holy huddle of sorts and kind of just wonder what exactly God's going to do with this, knowing that he's going to set it all right anyway. And we spoke against that last week and reminded ourselves that the church of Jesus Christ is the community of God that is about getting that work of Jesus right now because we know what the future will hold. And so our text for today, this this narrative from Hebrews 11, it is an exhausting list to read through. I don't know if any of you have ever been exhausted by material that you've read I remember reading a book about a bunch of folks that summited Everest. And as I sat with my comforter and my cup of coffee, all warm reading of their expeditions, I was exhausted thinking about what they had to do. My seventh grader right now is reading Lord of the Flies at school. We're reading it along with him, my husband and I. And I'm tired of reading that book. It's like, oh, these kids and they're running up and down the island and they're burning fires and building and fighting. And I'm just tired. There's so much action and activity in that book. This passage is filled with action. It should exhaust us to read Hebrews 11. Listen just a bit for some of the verbs that show up in this passage. Not even all of them. We're told that the people of God offered, built, obeyed, refused, passed, marched, Conquered, administered, quenched, escaped, faced, blessed, persevered, refused, administered, welcomed, shut, routed, spoke, sought, saved. They did not sit around waiting for God to come fix things. They set about the business of God's work immediately in their lives. And did you catch what Ellie read for us? At the end of that passage, we're told they didn't even 
receive the promises, the full promises of God, the full resurrected, redemptive purposes of God that we are promised. They didn't even see that Moses struggled all of his life to lead people. And he never even got to cross into the promised land. It is possible to serve God actively and aggressively, dare I say, now at this point in our lives as a church and a community together without having all the goodies and promises present to us. We are future-oriented, forward-leaning, and the church is about the action and the work of Jesus in this world. N.T. Wright, a scholar that we've been wrestling with and reading bits of throughout this series, says this about our actions and our activities in this life. He says, every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every act of care and nurture of comfort and support, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Everything we do matters. When you go to the beach and you build a sandcastle or you watch children building a sandcastle, and have you ever watched them build it just a little too close to the shore? And it all looks good until the tide starts coming in. And then you realize that all of the hard work these kids or adults have done are about a half hour from being sucked out into the sea. It is not like that with our work. We do not labor in a world that is a colossal sandcastle that will get swept out to sea. We work for good and justice and mercy and wisdom and grace because that stuff sticks and stays now and is a foreshadowing of what ultimately all of humankind will experience together. Paul says it this way. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So how do we do this? I had a real good friend call me last week. She overachieved last weekend. She went to all of our services. She listened to all of our preachers. And she called me and said, that's great, but what am I supposed to do? What do I actually do? And so what I want to do today is unpack for you some list of 10 nifty, flashy ideas that you've never heard before that will motivate you to do all of the things that God has for you by 10.01, the minute you walk out the door. I don't have anything new to say. We have shared with one another some of these stories before. We read these passages on many occasions. And I preach this stuff. And then I choose not to live it. And so I need to hear it again. Because if I really believe what we say, which I say I do, 
And why aren't we doing? Why aren't we always building? And why aren't we relentlessly about ushering in the kingdom of God here and now today? So there's three things I want to remind us of as a church today. The first, to usher in the kingdom of God and live it here today, we need to be about the justice of God. And T. Wright calls the word justice shorthand. He says it's shorthand for the intention of God expressed from Genesis to Revelation to set the world right. The problems of our world are complex. And the more complex our media and our ways of receiving information become, the more stunted and frankly scared personally we become. I don't know what to do. That is a complex issue. I don't know exactly what I should say or what I should not say. Should I get involved? Should I not get involved? Maybe we should leave it to the experts. What does a person of faith do when faced with the complex issues of our culture and of our time? And I want to challenge us and say, because our problems are complex is exactly the reason Followers of Jesus need to be in the world trying to solve and settle our problems. We worship the God who gave us big, massive, beautiful brains that understand public policy and economics and social structures and understand the way the world works and therefore can see the way it needs to change to work better for the glory of God. And scripture tells us over and over and over again to be the people of God is to be about justice, to care for the orphan and the widow. Jesus had his story of the good Samaritan reminding us, do not walk right past the people who are laying on the side of the road and struggling. Micah 6, 8, many of us know this. What does it mean to follow God, to do justice and to do mercy? Amos 5, you can read through the scripture over and over and over again. We are reminded to be about justice. So if we believe that justice is part of God's plan, that setting the wrongs right is going to be ultimately what happens at the end of time. We have to be partners in that and purveyors of that right now in our everyday lives. Second, we need to seek out, create, and celebrate beauty in our culture and in our world. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, what did he say about them? They were what? Good. They were good. We are going to one day restore creation and the world we inhabit to that goodness. It started out good. It's gotten pretty messy in the middle here. And we're heading back to that goodness. So wherever we see beauty, we see threads of the love of God shining through to this world. And when we point them out and celebrate them and become creators of them, we partner with a creative God who speaks to us, not just through words, but through beauty. 
I mean, how many of you have had a spiritual moment in a majestic place of wilderness or at a beach or someplace? And what do you say when you have that experience? I can't even put it into words, but I felt the presence of God. I took in the majesty and the grandeur and the splendor of creation. An art and culture were at one time in history, the domain of the church. We were the informers of beauty and the bringers of culture and of art to places in the world. And now we seem to be a culture that backs away from it and sort of looks at art and beauty and decides what is good and what is bad. And what we need to do is celebrate the beauty of this world and to be creators of it and to point it out for others whether it has an official Christian record label attached to it or not, when you hear something that stirs your soul, when you see and experience beauty, you are experiencing the goodness and the beauty of God. And we should be a people that want to share that, celebrate that, and keep that going so that others may experience it too for the glory of God. We need to pursue justice and be creators and celebrators of beauty. And lastly, we need to be a people who are about evangelism. How many of you got nervous when I said the word evangelism? I will feel guilty often when I hear that word because somewhere in the recesses of my mind is a mantra that says, I need to have a stack of Bibles and I need to be banging on all of my neighbor's doors and saying, Jesus loves you. Here's a Bible. And that is what works for some people. And some of you have come to faith that way. And that is awesome. But that is not the only way that evangelism exists. And he Wright says evangelism basically means he says to be evangelistic basically means we share the good news that God is at last becoming king and that Jesus whom this God raised from the dead is the world's true Lord. And this is what he says. There are a thousand ways to say that, which is to say, you can sometimes say this without words. It all fits together. If you say, if I say, if we say as a church, we are about justice and we are about beauty and grace in this world. And we don't bother to exercise any of that. Nothing you ever say will matter to anybody. But if you are about what you say and you sit with someone who's struggling and you celebrate the beauty in their lives and you say that you will pray for them when they're struggling and maybe they don't even know that much about God, but that really just felt good to them to hear. And then you go home and actually do it and you follow up and you say, how are you? How are you feeling? How is what you're struggling with in life? And maybe they start to say, Hey, can I like come to church with you? Like what, why are you nice? (laughs) Why are we not about always the things of God? So many people look at the church and they say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It's a group of hypocrites who love to argue. We should be a community that lives out 
the purposes of God pointing toward what he will eventually do at the end of time. And we should live into those purposes. Now that is evangelism, living what we say that we believe. This is hard. This is not easy stuff. And like I said, I wish I could package it and repackage it in some way new, but this is, this is what we preach. You know, we preach 52 Sundays a year, and a lot of times we say the same thing. We just repackage it. Let's do the work of God. That's really what we're saying. A couple months ago, I went to a, a class, a, a training program, because I was interested in learning more about the refugee um, crisis. And I know that's a controversial topic, but um, set that aside. I just want to share with you an experience that I had. And I went, I wanted to just learn what it looks like if you show up here in the United States, how that works. And I went with a a, a guy and an aid agency to O'Hare airport to pick up some refugees who, um, whose lives were in danger and who, had been given the opportunity to come here to the United States. And we were at the international terminal at O'Hare airport. And I did not know, but under one of the escalators at O'Hare, all of the aid agencies from the Chicago area hang out and wait for folks to get off airplanes. And it's a complicated process because folks coming into the United States have never been here before, likely do not speak the language. They have a white bag with a number on it. And you have to kind of guess whether those people look like the country that you were told they were coming from, and you have to match up your numbers. It's a very specific process, but it's an anxiety-producing process, because I thought to myself, what if I bring the wrong people home from the airport? I'm like, sorry, does this, does this work for you, though, you know? And I was over, I know, right? I was overwhelmed by the experience. And I sat there waiting for our people with the agency I was with to get off the airplane. And as they were waiting, I saw this stunning family um, from Africa, a country in Africa, get off the plane. And their hair was all braided up and they had their cultural dress on and they were beautiful. I saw beauty and culture and art in them. And it was October, and somebody had said to them, it's cold in Chicago, so they also all had down jackets and boots on. And it was like an 80-degree October day, and I was like, I promise you, it is going to get cold. And they kind of just weren't quite sure. And I sat there, and I watched beauty in a variety of different skin colors and ages and life stages get off the airplane. And then I saw the people we were picking up, and we happened to be with a member of that family. We were with the dad who had not seen his wife and then now four-year-old son in a year. And I got to stand there and watch dad see his kid after a year and his wife. And I got to watch them embrace for the first time in a year. It was awesome. And I thought, this is justice. This is justice. This is a family. We, as the people of God, should be about a dad getting to see his kid again. And it was all this swirl around us of chaos and of different languages. And I was confused because I still wasn't sure we had the right people. And eventually we got in the car and we drove them home and we gave them keys to an apartment. And we had a moment of grace and justice. 
And I don't know if I'll get to do that again. I hope that I do. And I share that story with you not to say, hey, look at me. I'm doing some cool stuff. Now everybody go to O'Hare. But the reality is whatever you are doing in your everyday life, you have the opportunity to do this same work. To be about justice. You do not have to work hard to find a place to practice justice. You do not even have to drive to the airport. Injustice is around us all the time. And we, as the people of God, can celebrate the beauty and the differences and the creation and the majesty and the art that is around us, not for our own gain, but for the glory of God. And when we are about these things, the third thing just comes along. We tell a great story of a God who loves us, who created a world that was very good, who is walking and working with us in the hard part, so that once again, at the end of time, this story we share will be redeemed and resurrected to the glory of God. And we get to take part in that now, just like the list of names in Hebrew did, just like Jesus did. So let's be about that work. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of doing your good work in this world. Thank you, God, that you consistently remind us and call us back to the very basic, essential elements of what we are to be about. About love, about seeking the best for this world, about celebrating justice and art and beauty and culture so that we too can tell the story of your gospel work and your redemptive resurrecting purposes in our lives now and into your future glory. Thank you, God, for inviting us to partner with you in the journey. In Jesus' name, everybody together said, amen.